Good morning. It's good to see uh, so many visitors. I really got to say, your uh, dedication on vacation encourages me greatly. Uh, I appreciate that you're with us. That's good. I enjoy that I've been here long enough to see a couple of y'all a few times, so a couple of you are becoming familiar faces, so uh, we're glad you've joined us this morning, and of course, we're, uh, even if you're not camping and you're visiting, we're glad you're with us too, uh, but uh, we just, uh, it's, it's nice to see so many, uh, such a good crowd this morning. I was sick last week, as many of you know, if you, if you heard me two weeks ago, you knew I was definitely sick last week, um, but we began a series a couple weeks ago called The Next Generation. And we talked about the church's role in raising that next generation. And we started with women, mothers in particular, being Mother's Day. And on Wednesday, since I was evicted from the pulpit Sunday, I had a little bit of a follow-up lesson in our devotional period. And I spoke just briefly uh, on the example of Jesus and how fathers and, and men, but specifically fathers, can serve like the Savior. And so we studied on Wednesday just a little bit. We studied that, that passage from John 13. And I know a few of us were with us Wednesday night, but I want to look again at just a couple of the verses we studied uh, because it kind of sets up our, our lesson today. Really, the last few weeks originally kind of all meant to go together. And so I want to look at just a couple of verses before we dive into our main focus today. And in John 3.15, after humbling himself and washing the disciples' feet, Jesus says, For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And of course, the implication being that if Jesus is our master, we ought to serve just as he served. And we talked about how service is an essential part of, of being a Christian, how it's not just essential for us as individuals, but also really for the function of a healthy body. It requires everyone's engagement, everyone's participation. And I read from 2 Thessalonians 3, where Paul is, is speaking to the Thessalonian church really about their, their laziness. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, he says, When we were with you, we gave you this rule. If anyone is unwilling to work, neither should he eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, for they are not busy at work, but they are busy bodies. And so service is essential for the individual Christian, but also for the, the healthy and the balanced function of the church body. I know many of you with us are visitors this morning, but this lesson really is going to be somewhat of a family meeting. Um, I had a root canal Thursday which was really exciting. Um, it was unexpected, an emergency root canal, which is even better. Um, it was very painful, but it was ultimately necessary. And, and I feel that in some ways our lesson today for some of us might be painful, but ultimately necessary for the health of our congregation. Because I share some of these thoughts from Wednesday, because it, it's no secret that the distribution of service in our congregation is not healthy. It's not balanced. We have the same handful of people helping out with the building and the grounds, the same handful teaching Bible classes, the same handful doing the decorating, serving during worship, with the prayer and the song leading in communion, while the majority of the body does nothing. The words of Paul, Paul's words, not mine, they are not busy at work, they are busy bodies. I repeat this message because the situation is not fair, it is not healthy, but most importantly, it's not sustainable. And I talk about sustainability because that's really where we're going this morning. Because I fear that if we continue doing things the way we are doing them, we will not be around as a congregation to raise up the next generation. Let me be clear, the church, the body of Christians, the university is not going anywhere. But our little congregation, service and spiritual growth are critical to raising up the next generation. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is really that topic of spiritual growth. 
because I believe our current model of service, or lack thereof, fails to promote healthy, congregation-wide spiritual growth. This, this lesson grows out of some thoughts and observations that I've had for a while, but uh, last Sunday I was just kind of reflecting on how thankful I am really for Van, and I, I don't mean to call you out even though I was going to do this, but I'll, I'll praise him for a little bit here. Um, not really just for preaching and for covering me, but really for his example. If you guys know Van, if you've known him at all, you know that like me, uh, he was not out of the womb a man of the cloth. All right, there's, there's, Let me tell you, there's, there's no hidden garden where preachers grow on trees that they go harvest us from. Um, he just decided one day that as a Christian, as a member of the body, he was recognizing a need and he realized it was his responsibility to do what he could to fill that need. Now, make no mistake, I'm aware he's not the only one. Truthfully, he's just the only one I feel comfortable enough with to embarrass a little bit there. But he's not the only one. We've actually had several uh, men and women just since I've been here in the last six to nine months. Many families who said, you know, we, I know we used to be on the fringe, but we really want to commit ourselves to the work here. And we, we used to kind of be on um, distance, but we really want to draw in and we want to get involved. And I'm reminded of the words of Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have many men and women and their families who made this commitment, but they are far outnumbered by those who would rather do nothing, who have become spiritually stagnant in their growth. And so this morning, I want us to focus on spiritual growth because it's, it's necessary for the stability and the health of the church. And I, I know we've talked about spiritual growth a little bit since I've been here, but I want us to think about it specifically in that context of raising up the next generation. Because who among us does not care about the future of the church? Who, who has kids in their life that they, don't, that they don't want to become successful adults, that they don't want to see grow old and stay true to the faith? And so again, those words of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If we care about raising the just generation, we need to care about spiritual growth. In our Bible class this morning, we're, we're moving from the, the Pentateuch to the historical books. So we've kind of been looking at Deuteronomy and Numbers and Exodus and then Joshua and Judges and, and that transitional period. And I want to actually read from us this morning a passage from Numbers 27. I've been thinking about all these texts as I'm preparing for the class and it's just kind of bled over into our preaching. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers 27. Uh, we're going to read a little bit of a longer section from this chapter. Uh, for those of you who haven't been able to be part of our class in this particular section, Moses is, is praying before God. He's nearing the very end of his life, and he's, he knows that his time has kind of come to an end, and he's concerned about the future. He's concerned about the next generation, and so he's praying to God. And this is from Numbers 27. Uh, we'll begin in verse 16, and I'll throw it up on the screen here. From Numbers 27, beginning in verse 15. I'll start in verse 15. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep with have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all of the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. I read this passage because Moses showed a great care for the future of his, his church, his people, his congregation. 
And so we see in other passages that they chose elders. This happens in Exodus 18. In Exodus 18, it happens again in Numbers 11. But he, he wanted to make sure that the people of God not just had elders, but had good, strong leadership. His goal was not to glorify Joshua, not to put Joshua up on a pedestal. But his goal was so that all the children of Israel may be obedient. And so God tells him he will take some of that spirit that's with Moses and he will put that same spirit on them and they will obey him. In another passage in Numbers eleven seventeen, God tells Moses he will take that spirit that is upon him and put it on them. And he, his exact words when he describes the elders and the function of these elders, he says, They shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Which is interesting. There's few leaders in the Bible as strong as Moses. He would certainly be in the, in the top five of our power ranking of leaders in all of Christian history. And even Moses, God looks at in Numbers eleven seventeen. he says, You need help so that they shall bear the burden of the people with you and you will not bear it alone. Because God cares about his people. He wants them to have strong leadership, to have proper guidance. And so he says, even Moses is not capable of handling the problems of the people alone. i got to be honest with you, I think I'm pretty good at this whole preaching thing sometimes. But I'm certainly not Moses. And if Moses needed help, God cares about his people. And he understands growth and obedience requires leadership requires proper guidance. I'm, I'm sure now, by now many of you are, are tiring of hearing the lessons on elders and how we need elders and how we should have elders. I'll, I'll share a story with you from earlier in our marriage. This was decades and decades ago. I would never do something this foolish now. This was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But Priscilla had brought something up that we were fighting about, you know, and we were kind of going back and forth and we were arguing and I was, I was getting really frustrated and she said, you know, I just, I just need you to do more like this. I need you to kind of do this. And it was about a particular behavior, and I, would just, I was getting so frustrated hearing about it, and I, we were arguing. I was like, why are you bringing this up again? Like, we just fought this about this last week, and then it happened again like two weeks before that. Like, why are we doing this every week? And she said, because you're still doing it. It's like, oh, I guess I hadn't thought about that. Realized I didn't want to change. I just wanted to have stop having the conversation about changing. And so I know many of you may be tired about hearing about it, but the problem still exists, so we're going to keep talking about it. In our example in Numbers, Moses prayed and pleaded with God. He ensured that God's spirit is with this next generation, that they had spiritual leadership. And we can compare what Moses does to really what happens after Joshua we talked about this a little bit in our Bible class already, but at the end of Joshua's life, we have that famous scene in, in chapter 24 where he says, For me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the people respond, and they're, they're energetic, they're on that church camp high, and they say, We will serve God, and his voice we will obey. The text tells us that the people served the Lord all the days of the Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done, but another generation arose after them which did not know the Lord and did not know the work he had done. We mentioned this in class a couple different times because this verse is critical to the transition that happens. And what he's saying is that the people didn't obey God because they didn't know God and they didn't know God because nobody taught them and nobody taught them because they lacked leadership. 
leadership is critical to spiritual growth. It is critical to raising the next generation. And really by leadership here, I'm probably talking more broadly than some of you might traditionally think of in the church by just some of the examples that we've looked at. Really, when, he, when the Bible talks about leadership in this Old Testament sense, it talks about those responsible for teaching the next generation. It says those responsible for teaching the word of the Lord. That's why Judges says they did not know the Lord. And so alongside the elders, alongside the shepherds and those who you traditionally think of as spiritual leaders, I would say that those who help with our troubles and issues are not just the elders and the shepherds, but those who actually raise our children in obedience those who promote spiritual growth are actually uh, our teachers. Our teachers are a critical part, and, and I want to be clear, I think I may have misspoke at some point, but I, I understand that the elders and the shepherds have a particular role, but when it comes to raising the next generation, our classes and our teachers are a critical part of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is facilitated by leadership, but it begins with knowledge of God. The Israelites didn't have a Bible, they probably didn't have organized classes, but in our context, spiritual growth begins with knowledge of God. It begins in our Bible classes. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I think I've gotten a slide behind on my slides here. Sorry. Okay. We'll do that. Spiritual growth is facilitated by leadership, but it begins with knowledge of God. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. If we care about the future of the church, if we care about growing and raising that next generation, we need to care about our Bible classes. We ought to care about things like what's being taught, how it's being taught. I mean, what do our classrooms say about our level of care for our Bible classes? We ought to care about who is doing the teaching. James 3.1 says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that you who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And James doesn't say that to scare anybody out of teaching, and that's not why I read it today. But he wants to communicate the importance and the significant role teachers play. He says what you're doing is so important. Don't, don't take it recklessly. Don't take it on carelessly. It's significant, the role that you play in teaching young Christians. In our personal context here in Dover, I, don't, I have no doubts about the abilities, and nor do I question the competency of our Bible class teachers. What I question is their support from the church. What I question is the care the rest of us have to the spiritual growth that ought to be happening. I think sometimes we treat our Bible class teachers like Supreme Court justice positions and nominate them for life. I had somebody tell me people are afraid to serve in, in small churches because they don't want to have to never stop serving. They, they don't want a lifetime appointment. I wonder, do we ever bother wondering if they should be taught? Sure, our teachers are great adults, but I think sometimes they'd like to sit in a pew. And then as to our teacher shortage, I wonder what are we doing to train more teachers? What are we doing to grow and develop our young adult Christians to become teachers? On one hand, we have James 3.1, which, which warns against the roles of teaching, uh, of taking that too lightly and cautions against carelessly uh, embracing the role of a teacher. But on the other, we have Hebrews 5.12. And that's what I peeked up on the screen earlier. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to reteach you the basic principles of God's word. You need milk, not solid food. Much like the elders' discussion, 
I know some of you are tired of hearing about it, but the problem still exists. In a few months, it's coming up faster than I really would have imagined, but in just a few months, when the summer is over, I will have been here a year. And in that year, will we have more teachers than we did when I got here? Will we have more young adults who are stronger in their knowledge of the Word? Will you be able to say, I am a stronger Christian? I've grown spiritually in the last year. I wonder how it is in the congregation of our size, because I do believe we're blessed. I can't tell you how many times when I tell people, I was like, oh, we, our attendance is right around 100. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'm like, we're in a town of 2,000 people. Like, wow, really? <laughs> it, it, it's, we have something here. And that's why I say this. If I, if I, didn't, if I didn't think so, I wouldn't be here. and take that the wrong way. We need leaders. We need people willing to step up and willing to serve. I, I wonder how it is in a congregation of 100, 100 members and at least 50 men, we only have two or three capable of teaching an adult Bible class. Will that number be higher in 10 years? Or will it just decline? I fear that we are not just stagnant in our spiritual growth, but that we are actually dying. And we just don't know it yet. Like something festering under the surface. My fear, my, my weekly praying fear is that our little congregation is spiritually dying and by the time we wake up to realize it, it will be too late. We'll come in one Sunday and we'll be like, what happened to all those, those toddlers we had? What happened to all those middle schoolers we had? Why is there nobody in our high school class but we've got a dozen people in elementary school? What happened to those people we celebrated graduating last year? What happened to those that graduation class? You remember five years ago we had like ten people graduate and they... Where are they at now? We'll walk in one Sunday and be like, where did all the young people go? We'll realize we had not been training the next generation. When I was early kind of in my ministry, really I wasn't even a minister. I was just a young kid trying to preach. I filled in at a number of congregations. And the one that stuck with me the most was this massive building in a very suburban part of North Dallas. I'm talking a bustling area. There was probably 100,000 people within five miles of this church building. And it was a very large congregation. When I walked in, there were probably about a dozen people there in an auditorium that could seat 500. The time I got up to preach, they had filled out a little bit. About 40 people were there. It was one of the hardest lessons I ever gave. Not because of the content. Because try standing up here when every word falls on empty seats. When the building is a testimony to a church that has died. If you've ever experienced a congregation like this, I don't need to tell you I was the youngest person there by about 30 years. <laughs> but this sort of thing kind of only goes one direction. It's very common that a church of about our distribution wakes up one day and says, where do our young people go? A church of a bunch of 50, 60, and 70-year-olds never wakes up and say, hey, where did these dozen 20-year-olds come from? It kind of only goes one direction. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. He says, bear fruit or be cut off. Grow or be gathered and burned. 
his words there that say, abide in me, echo back to that reminder from Joshua that growth begins with knowledge of God, begins with knowledge of Jesus, begins with an understanding of the gospel, but it does not stop there. And so I would ask, what are we doing to facilitate growth in knowledge of God? What is our, our spiritual family doing to make sure everybody is fed? How many of you would go home and feed two of your three kids? Or you would prepare a meal for you and your spouse and tell your kids to go hungry? What are we doing to ensure everybody from the oldest to the youngest, from the, the closest part of our core to those on the fringe, are being spiritually fed? I know we hold Bible classes. Let's be honest, the numbers are on the board every week. What about the other half of us? The other two-thirds of our membership roles. We've been blessed with three baptisms since I got here. But how many baptisms do we expect to have next year as a result of the seeds we are planting now? What farmer walks out into his field and says, Hey, where did all this corn come from? Nobody. 1 Corinthians 3.6, Paul says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And so I ask, is this the purpose of our Bible classes? Are they serving the purpose of spiritual growth? Uh, of allowing God to give that increase as we water and as we plant? Or is it kind of something we just do so our kids can be over there for an hour? And trust me, I understand the value of my child being in another room for at least an hour during the day. If I'm being honest, my wife knows that value more than I do. I'll just call my own foul on that one. But That's not really the purpose of Bible class, though. The purpose of it ought to be spiritual growth. We have so few precious hours with our young kids. As anyone who's taught in the public school system knows, you get almost no time to teach anything with kids. And we get one-fifth of the time they have. And so what are we doing with those precious few moments we have? It ought to serve a purpose, and it ought to promote spiritual growth. Uh, I didn't write this down, ad-libbing this a little bit, and I, I want to clarify, I, I don't question the effectiveness of our Bible classes because I question the effectiveness of our teachers. It's not that at all. This isn't an indictment on our teachers. We've had, in fact, I think our teachers are probably doing the best they can because most of them have been back there for five years. I'm questioning the support the rest of our church is giving to our teachers. In the Church of Christ, we, we quote John 24, 24 often. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And I would say that particular verse has more to do with your attitude and your mindset in the worship assembly than it does a particular style or genre of worship. You don't really have the time to look at John 4 in context. But when he talks about worshiping in spirit and truth, it's just like when Paul talks about singing praise with my spirit and singing with my mind also. He's talking about our attitude and our mindset in worship. About what are you thinking about? Where's your heart at when you come to the assembly? I'll make it... A comment that I promise you every preacher you've ever, anybody who stood in a pulpit has thought, has probably been too scared of their job to tell you. There's something beautiful about this perspective that when you're all facing this way and I'm facing this way, that when you want to be anywhere else in the world, I can tell. The look on your face and the closeness of your eyes tells me I would rather be anywhere else on Sunday morning. And to tell you the complete truth, part of me wishes you would be. 
because Jesus commands us to love the Lord our God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. To those who would be content with mediocrity, to those who have become stagnant in their faith, I would remind you that Jesus said, I will spit you out of my mouth. I hesitate to use the word vulgar, but that's about as vulgar a language Jesus uses. He says, I'm disgusted with stagnant faith. I'm disgusted with mediocrity. To those who are not here to become better Christians or to grow spiritually, especially those who are old enough to know better, and those who have no interest in changing, I, I joke, but I said, I, I wish you would be somewhere else on a Sunday morning if you feel like you would rather be anywhere else. If the look on your face and your attitude is like, oh, I just wish I wasn't here, then I, then I wish you weren't. I wish you would choose to be somewhere else than to feel comfortable in your lukewarm faith by showing up with us and continuing to set a horrible example to all those young Christians who are watching you because I promise they are. I'll share a little bit of a story that might add some, some levity here as we begin to close. Uh, I've told a couple of you guys this story already, but when Luke was about a year old, this was right when he moved here, he started grabbing TV remotes all the time. We only have two, but he would always like he would always grab their remotes. And when he did, he would grab them and he would do the funniest little walk around the house where he would hold it above his head as high as he could and just sort of wave it in the air. And it would dumbfound us every time we saw him do that. We're like, what is he? Why is he? Why does it look like he's marching? What are we doing? Are we trying to salute somebody with the remote? What's going on here? And this went on for a few weeks. We just kind of laugh. And then finally one day, I went to like flip on a football game or something, and our, our TV in our house is on a fireplace mantle. And so it kind of sits back. We actually have a hole in the wall where one of those like 80s tube TVs used to be. And so the TV kind of sits back and you have to, to aim the remote at the TV. You kind of got to hold it like this. And as I was doing that, I realized, oh my gosh, that's what he's doing. He's holding the remote the way I would hold it. And anyone who's had a young kid has told you, could tell you a similar story of their children learning something from them when you didn't even know they were learning. Because they're watching whether you mean it or not, young children are learning from you. And so what are we teaching our children? Are we modeling spiritual growth? Or do our actions speak louder than our words when we say raising Christians are important? Are we teaching them to take charge of their own faith and to learn and to grow and to serve in the church? Or are we teaching them to be lukewarm? Are we teaching them that complacency is acceptable? That being content in your faith is fine? And that taking a back seat through life is, is okay. I hope your faith is important to you. But more importantly, I hope your actions demonstrate that your faith is important to you because people are watching. Not just young people, but young Christians. People who are immature in their faith, who don't know better, who are, who are new Christians, or maybe who are new members of their church, who don't really know what it means to be a Christian. You're teaching them. In fact, I would argue you're teaching them more than I am. Because we do this thing where when somebody gets in the pulpit, we say, oh, that's, they got to do that. They have to do that. The members sitting in the pews are doing much more teaching with their behavior than those who teach from the pulpit. And so I wonder what we're teaching the next generation. James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. If you're one of the many of our number 
who seem content with being a backseat Christian, I want you to know that, that whether you respond publicly to the invitation or not, I do hope you'll make the decision to change. I hope you'll make the decision to commit yourself to spiritual growth, to modeling behavior for the next generation, and to committing yourself to the future of our congregation or of the church. To recognize that God calls us to spiritual growth, not to die on the vine. Maybe you're with us this morning, and and you yourself are a part of that next generation. Maybe you've always known the church, and you've always known the Bible, but you've never made the decision to actually obey the gospel and be added to the church. I want you to understand it's a process, but it's a process that we can begin today. Through a study of God's word, we can, we can understand what it means to repent, to be saved, and to, I'm sorry, to repent, to confess, and to be baptized into salvation, but to live faithfully. If you're with us this morning, and this invitation is for you, won't you come while we stand and while we sing? Out, I know.